You are Locked On Pacers, your daily Indiana Pacers podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome into another edition of the Locked On Pacers podcast, day three of us on YouTube, for those listeners not watching on YouTube, obviously. I'm Adam Friedman, one of the co-hosts of this wonderful podcast, and joining me on the other line to talk about the Pacers' first preseason game, Mr. Tony East from Forbes.com, the West Side Indianapolis News. Tony, how are you? I was unprepared for so much of today. I mean, the preseason game was what it was. The starters barely played. We saw every rookie. Some played well, some didn't. We saw all the Exhibit 10 guys. And then there was a trade in the middle of the second quarter, and I'm taking notes about the game, and all of a sudden I'm like, wow, I just missed six minutes of the game because I was thinking about a player getting traded, another player coming into the Pacers. It was truly a wild first day of the Pacers 2021-22 campaign involving games. So, so much to get to. We're going to have to break it over two shows, Adam. But it was it was a crazy game and day. Yes, we will talk about the pending, as if I ever put it, Brad Wanamaker trade on tomorrow's show. Uh, but on today's show, we will sort of finish it up by talking about the Pacers' first preseason game. But as you said, we got to start with what, mid-second quarter, third quarter, now I'm forgetting, trade of Edmund Sumner to the to the Nets. Attached to that was a second-round pick for the Miami Heat. Basically, Sumner's going to get waived. It is the ultimate clear luxury cap space dump. Yes, uh, that's exactly the trade. 2025 Miami Heat second-rounder goes from the Pacers to the Nets, along with Edmund Sumner. And the, and the Nets, in a corresponding move, traded Seku Dumboya, a lottery pick from 2018. I can't remember what draft. Uh, he was involved in now. Uh, but anyway, to the Rockets, uh, along with second round pick as well. So they just they just cleared some money. And that's what the Pacers did too. The Rockets basically take the money from the Nets to make all this happen with the picks. And so yeah, Adam's right. That the the reasoning for this trade was money. The Pacers are close to the, the tax within, you know, five hundred, seven hundred thousand dollars. They were sniffing right up on it and they needed to get away from it. And Edmund Sumner was $2.3 million of money that was essentially dead this season. Not even essentially. He wasn't going to play for them this season. There was, they, if they get off of it, suddenly they have way more wiggle room to do other things. And they can distance themselves from the tax instead of just eating this dead money. Uh, so that's why they did it. They wanted to clear that room from the tax, increase their flexibility. Like presently, their only way to to get farther from the tax outside of trades was to cut Keelan Martin. Now they have a few more options. They can do a few more things at the back end of their roster. So this trade was all about flexibility with a pick that could be nothing, could be something. It's hard to say. Again, 2025, second round. Pick, round my, I mean, most of the time. Yeah, it's a second round pick. My light just shut off. I got to learn how long this thing stays on for. But um, yeah, you know, that the, the motivation was all money related. For the Pacers, and you know, since Sumner's entirely dead money on the last season of his deal, I get why they did it. But uh, I'm not sure if this is how I would have personally gotten off the money if I was the Pacers. Yeah. Before we get to your personal feelings, because I know you have a, a <laughs> lot, a lot to share. Um, we said this before, but basically, the Pacers were within a few hundred thousand dollars of being over the luxury tax threshold, which means they wouldn't get access to a certain amount of revenue sharing, which is probably going to be like between eight or ten million dollars. So if they went over, if they, if they went, went over, over, and the over. Could happen because of a slew of likely bonuses, or they're not likely this year, but could have bonuses for Sabonis, for Miles Turner, TJ Warren. I think McConnell might have a bonus in there too. So all of that made it like, uh, I would put it like a 50-50 chance it could happen just because there was a lot of floating bonuses there for players who could easily achieve what they were basically being offered if they get hit. Like I think Warren was like 40% from three. Uh, Turner's was a certain amount of games played. Stuff 
stuff like that. So they wanted to get a little more room in case those bonuses hit. At the same time, we've been wondering, would they go and get that third point guard at some point? Uh, and this basically clears the room for that because they had a player in Sumner who was not going to play this year and was, a, as you said, a dead a dead space, basically. Yeah, the bonuses they would be, in theory, afraid of are Warren hitting. I think it's 38% of his threes and taking over 170. He did that two seasons ago for the Pacers. He could do that both again. That said, he's hurt. You know, who knows if he comes back. Sabonis has an All-NBA bonus as well. He keeps getting better. That's pretty ambitious, but not completely unreasonable. Turner has an All-Defense bonus. You know, there are stuff that is possible and not unreasonable that, that could make them, it could have made them a tax team prior to this trade. So that that was their entire motivation is now they have the freedom during the season to breathe. Uh, it makes moves under the hard cap now too, so they can use a little more of the MLE in theory midseason. Um, if they want to do that, whatever the distance between what they spent on Tory Craig and the mid-level is all they had before. Now they have a little more wiggle room there. So the motivations for this are basically all financial, right? It's a very small salary dump that now they can go, whoo, okay, exhale. We can make, you know, now it's, it's, you know, I was talking about for a while, like, you know, maybe Keelan Martin and Kiefer Sykes are close at the end of camp, but you save $700,000 against the tax if you cut Martin. Like, they don't have to think like that anymore. Like, $700,000, they can take that risk if they like a player more. So that kind of breathing room is important. It doesn't it doesn't make your decisions come down to such small dollar amounts. Instead, it's more about the quality of players, and that's what drives your decisions now. So in that way, it's a good thing. And unfortunately, it probably means they didn't see a future with Sumner on this team after, after a torn Achilles, a, a terrible injury for a guy who... He continued to get better, but it's a huge setback for him. And again, they clearly they could bring him back in the future. Heck, the Nets waved him. They could bring him back this season, technically. I don't know why they would after a trade like this. But, um, you know, they clearly didn't value what he could bring going forward. And instead they said, we want the flexibility now to, to shape the rest of our team. Yeah, it's worth also noting that by clearing this space is nothing, and you say it's a lot, of an, like of impact of fans, right? They're not like needing to clear space for a specific reason. They could spend the money if they wanted to. They're mainly clearing money because they don't want to spend money, which is, I mean, as a small market team, understandable, but that's worth noting. Uh, I think you should not care about the luxury tax as a fan, unless you have an indication they'll spend it in a future season. Yeah. I I think the other thing this trade kind of means is probably twofold. One is it's probably the best thing ever for Keelan Martin right now. I think he's very good good about that for sure. And I think it shows just how bad the Jeremy Lamb market is. Because I think if they had any hint they could trade Jeremy Lamb for a lesser salary, at some point, you know, felt like that, they would have probably tried to hold them a little bit longer. But I think the, the Lamb market is, like, pretty empty because he makes so much money. He had not a great year last year. Because that was, the obviously, the, the most logical trade candidate to clear some space, right? It was dump Lamb's 10.5 for an $8 million contract, let's say, somewhere just to, like, create some room because Lamb wasn't going to play anyways. Or that was good decided they need Lamb because of injuries that they just value him too much and Sumner was just a, kind of a, a, like you said, a dead spot. Yeah, I think it's the latter of the two things you just said. I don't think that the market isn't there because – here's why I say that. They basically in this trade spent a second-round pick to clear $2.3 million of salary, right? So that would be trading Lamb for an $8.2 million player with a second-rounder. I I am very confident they could have done that. Like as much as his money isn't really reflective of the player he was last year, I'm very confident they could have done something like that. There's a lot of $8 million players in the league who are equally kind of bad money for their team. So I think it's because Sumner was hurt actually. And they realized, Oh wow, we might kind of need lamb in the rotation this season. And they have an opportunity to rehab his value. By the way, you know, he was kind of rough in this preseason game on defense. Still, we'll get to that, but 
had some dribble moves back, was a beast on the glass. Where did that come from? Jeremy Lamb, are you kidding me? Nine rebounds? So it's a preseason game. I'm not reading into it. I'm just I'm just adding a tangent here. But you know, I don't I don't believe that the market to clear 2.3 million of Lamb using that second wasn't there. I just think that they think they can rehab his value and not have to do that. Whereas there's no way to rehab Evan Sumner's value at this point. He's an expiring contract, completely dead money, not playing this year. Yeah. So I think earlier this summer there was a podcast where I mentioned the Pacers might do this, and Tony sort of dismissed me. Does that make sense? Say <laughs> the least. So uh, in you just you dismissed me for the right reason. So I, I'm going to give you the kind of the flow before we move on. Just give me like your most, you know, how you're feeling about the trade because you were kind of upset in some text to me. Well, one, I think Sumner is good, and I would have tried to see what he is post-injury. But beyond that, to, this is a fine way to save money. Like, their goals of this move are clear tax – or excuse me, but the goals of this trade for them were clear tax room, right, and find a way to get a third point guard. We barely even mentioned this. The reporting is they're bringing in Brad Wanamaker on a camp deal. Now, Wanamaker has played for the Celtics, Warriors, and Hornets as kind of a point guard shooting guard hybrid. He's probably better than Kiefer Sykes, so he's got a pretty good chance to be – that third point guard on this Pacers team. So in essence, they said, okay, we would rather have maybe Keelan Martin still. We'll see. You know, maybe they keep Wanamaker and still cut Keelan. Just save more money and just carry 14 guys in the season. There's still some stuff up in the air from this trade. But they decided we would rather save a little bit of money and have Brad Wanamaker than have this dead money in the second round pick. And that's strange to me because they could have just cut Keelan and save the same amount and still had a roster spot to bring in Wanamaker, right? So they 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 kind of valued the extra small amount of flexibility that the that trading a second round pick gave them, and it's not that much more flexibility than they would have gotten by just waving Keelan Martin. So they might value Wanamaker a fair amount. That that you know that's not crazy to think about, or maybe they value keeping Keelan and Wanamaker and still having the flexibility. You know, maybe I'm missing something in the layering here, but they don't. You know, if, if they keep Wanamaker, who's a two-year veteran, his minimum is still like $1.6 million. They didn't save like that much. You know, they could still cut him mid-season and save some. So it, it it's kind of interesting. I don't think, to me at least, the asset trade value savings, the opportunity cost of just cutting Keelan, I don't think I would have done that myself. Again, they accomplished goals that make sense to me from a cap dork perspective. But one, because of how I feel about Sumner as a player, and two, because there were kind of other avenues to do this, I just don't know that that I would have done this myself. I, I'd probably give it a C, but you know, it is what it is. My feelings don't really matter. And I get why they did it, which is always important. If you understand the motivations that you can't fault it too much, but you can still say, well, maybe add it on this and, and we'll see those results for out. Maybe Wanamaker's awesome for them. He played for uh, assistant coach, Ronald Norad in, in uh, Charlotte S season. So maybe there's some, some fit stuff there. So we'll see what happens. Maybe Kiefer Sykes outplays him in camp, and then it looks even stupider. We'll see what happens. Yeah, we'll talk a lot more about probably this transaction in the coming days once once there's some more media and some more you know, answered questions about it as we get a little clearer picture. Uh, but I think it's time we should move on to talk about the Pacers' first preseason well, game. Can I cut in and just say Carlisle wasn't allowed to answer questions about it after the game because it's not official yet, right? Like, players can talk about what Edmund Sumner's meant to the Pacers, but they can't say, like, oh, you yeah, know, this trade, whatever. So we we... We don't really have the follow-up thoughts from the team just yet to really analyze it. We can get into Wanamaker and all that tomorrow, but just initial thoughts of the trade, we we, we got in what we could. Yeah, it's going to take a little while before everything kind of clears the through the NBA settled. league office, right? That's sort of and the, the Houston, the Houston-Brooklyn portion of the trade has to happen first. 
so that the Nets can create a trade exception to bring in Sumner. It's all very stupid, but that's what's going to happen. Yeah, so it will take a couple of days at least for things to kind of clear through. But anyways, let's move on to the Pacers' first prison game, but first, one quick break. And today's Locked on Pacers podcast is brought to you by Sweatblock. So there are a few things in life that just aren't fun to talk about, and one of them is excessive sweating. You know the kind of sweating where you're sweating through your shirt for no reason. It's kind of embarrassing at times. It isn't life or death, and there are much worse problems in the world, but let's be honest. In the moment, it feels like a big deal, and nobody likes to pit out during an important speech, interview, or first date. You'd much rather not worry about it, and that's why you should use Sweatblock antiperspirant wipes. Sweatblock is stronger and more effective than most clinical antiperspirants. Simply apply it at night before bedtime, go to bed, the next morning you wake up, wash, and go about your day without worrying about sweat, guaranteed. I know that sounds too good to be true, but use Sweatblock once or twice a week and it keeps you dry the whole time. No more pitting out or picking your favorite shirts based on ones that hide sweat better. If you are if you're dealing with this or know someone you love is dealing with this, you have to check out Sweatblock. You get 20% off at sweatblock.com from a code locked on L-O-C-K-E-D-O-N. You can also find Sweatblock at Amazon or CVS. And we are also brought to you by Sleeper.ap. In 2018, the fantasy sports expert at Sleeper realized that fantasy basketball was broken. Games were being won or lost based on the, the players who had the most scheduled games that week. It made no sense and required very little strategy. So in 2020, Sleeper released a brand new way of playing fantasy basketball. It's called Game Pick, and it's only available on Sleeper. In Game Pick, owners pick a single game per week for each target account towards their team's total score, ensuring an even number of games played between opponents. I know I've won my league this way. This is a, this is definitely a way to get around that to kind of add a little more element and less of basically who has the most games played, who's picking you know the players that have playing four times a week instead of three. Sleeper's way can all around all that and actually get down to who has the best player and who put together the best team. Try Sleeper today. It is a one of a kind. Uh, game pick most strategic fancy basketball experience in the industry. Check out Sleeper today at sleeper.io. And we're back from break. So the Pacers lose to the Knicks. Well, the final score, I believe, was 125 to 104. Starters barely played. Uh, Tony, I have a bunch of different thoughts, notes. I'm assuming you have the same. You want to just trade back and forth notes for a little while? I took a million every quarter. Uh, but I actually, Adam, you just stated an error, I believe. What? You said the final score, and I think the final score was um, who cares to who cares. Oh, I thought you were. I think at one point the final score said 125 to 107, but I think they took away a three, by the way. No, it's, uh, the, it doesn't matter. Um, I have notes on my phone. If you're watching on YouTube, I'm going to look stupid looking at my phone. But, yeah, it took a ton. Uh, and really the first half notes are what matters here, right? Because, or more at least, because that's when the key guys played. That's when the top ten guys played with one very giant wow Wow, wow, rotation decision in the first half, which I'm sure you noted as well. But yes, we can bounce notes back and forth, but my biggest one from the first quarter, or really the start of the game, my big notes were all about Justin Holiday. Justin Holiday of the starters, uh, he played 17 minutes and 48 seconds. He had the most points of the starters at 13, shot five of seven from the field and three of three from deep. Of course, with those stats, he's going to have the most points, but the manner in which he took his four threes, Justin Holiday was playing a little like Doug McDermott from last year, flying out of the corner around Miles Turner screens off ball, taking two dribbles to get to the rim. It was the most aggressive I've seen him getting to the rim since joining the Pacers. It was a preseason game. I don't want to read too much into anything from these games, but 
you know, stylistically from him, it was jarring to see him play a little differently than normal and being aggressive at the rim like that. And he looked really impressive. If he can kind of suit that role all season, that might make him a little more of a threat, both with the starters and with a guy like TJ McConnell. Yeah, I wrote that down. I thought Holiday might have been the best starter of the day. I mean, he, of, yeah, I agree. I agree. Like he had the most kind of like seamless play where it didn't feel a little bit like either. Him or clunky. Turner were the best two starters to me. Yeah. I mean, I think offensively, the Holiday at a different level. I mean, Turner. Turner did what Turner does. I mean, Holiday, I, I think, was... Ooh, disagree. We'll get to him. Well, so I, I wrote down Turner as, eh, so maybe it wasn't as high. I mean, I Wow, was... wow. So, not only do you disagree with me, you disagree with all of the Twitter consensus. Look at you. So That's not a bad thing, by the way. Do you want to talk about Turner or you want to talk about Holiday? Because I, 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 I can do both. Keep going on Holiday, we'll get to okay. Turner. So Holiday, I basically want to say, he, he looked like he was just... The three-point shot was falling. He looked like he kind of fit right in. Like, it was a really good sign of if he's going to play at the starters as the T.J. Warner placement, we assume. Because we hope Levert will be back by the rest of the season because he looks like he's practicing a little bit and he traveled the team and whatnot. So I don't think it's, like, a super concerning thing right now with Levert. Uh, he seemed like that's a good fit for him. And it seems like he's kind of just the same level he was last year and the year before, which is a good sign for a guy who's, I think, over he's 32 now, just in holiday. He's getting to his 30s. So it's... It's good to say he's just coming back to the same player each year. Like that's a good sign for a guy at that age who hasn't, you know, who made a leap in his first Pacers season and has kind of just stayed at that level for a couple of seasons now. Everything is an overreaction after one game. Like it's impossible for, for anything we say to sound like level-headed or reasonable. But you know, we our question for him when we did our our position previews last week was what what skills can you add, Justin? Right. Same with McConnell. What what skill are you going to add to make you a little different a player? And if Justin Holiday's added skill is a little bit of off-ball movement that allows him to get to the rim more. That's huge for him, right? Like he didn't get a lot of dribble moves in the past, but they don't really get him anywhere. So if he can find a way to get to the rim, he's already a good shooter. Like now he'll be a really good, efficient player that allows him to, you know, even if Levert's out to start the season, he can play the two if Lamb moves to the bench. Like that, that, that adds a lot of flexibility for him. So promising start for him. I don't know how much that role again will materialize. It was one game. The starters barely played. The rotation was weird. But I, I was very uh, pleased by what I saw from Justin Holiday. Yeah, so with Turner, we'll move on to him for a second because I wrote down and The reason I wrote down kind of Ant was I thought with his – he took a couple nice off-the-dribble like drives. It was, that was really nice, but he didn't hit his three very well. And on defense, he was fine. I mean, I, I think he got beat a couple times like it's going to happen. I mean, I don't know if that's just the quality of the, the advantage around him at the same time. But to me, it felt like there wasn't like – the thing about Turner's like off the dribble game is that like we've seen him do it enough that like I'm just not like super excited until I see him do it like consistently over and over and over and over again for like a extended period of time and not just like one game. But that's just a so long. The same thoughts don't apply to that. Justin Holiday about doing it over and over again. Uh, well, with Holiday, I think what we saw is the same level of play for that we've seen the last two years come back in this game, and that's why it's wow, wow. With Turner, we see this new thing, but I, I we see it come. See it I go thought Turner and Justin Holiday are both showing a lot of. Of, of different-ish stuff compared to past versions of them. I don't know if that's... I don't know if Turner's is that different. How are they going to make wow. a case? Like, Turner had a push shot on a short roll. I don't think I've ever seen him do either of those things. I I mean, I, I felt like he puts the ball on the ground the way he did in a couple of those drives was just kind of normal. It was like, we've seen him do it before. Not normal, but we've seen him do it before. I just don't know if I've seen him do it consistently. That's why I just didn't buy it. In general, Sands Turner, I have a note from pretty early in the game that there were so many shot fakes and drives from the Pacers. Like, like almost every possession, they would swing it to one guy and he would shot fake and put it on the floor. And that's like a fine offense to play, but it was so noticeable that I was like, man. Um, okay, another thing I had... Just rotation stuff in general. My goodness, did they do a lot of weird subbing? But first sub, we were we were kind of on this Duarte in 
for Jeremy Lamb. Duh. That's kind of what we guessed was going to be the first sub. Get Duarte minutes with the starters. Then, wow, blow the lid off. The, the next three to come in were Isaiah Jackson, TJ McConnell, and Torrey Craig. O'Shea not in that group. Very surprising. Craig, I get it. We were right about him being in there. McConnell was a duh. Isaiah Jackson, being uh, eighth slash ninth guy in, was wow to me. Uh, I don't know if that holds or if it's serious. O'Shea came in early second quarter. I think that's the 10 if they have to go with the rotation. So we're going to have to do another whole pod on free go-go movement again, uh, if this is real. This is one preseason game. Carlisle could very well mix it up on Friday, just analyzing the rotation from one game. That appears to be his top 10. Jackson still looks pretty good as a dive guy and on defense, but the rotation, mostly because Isaiah was in it, but also Craig was a little higher up than I thought he'd be, and he dribbled a lot. He was kind of involved. Uh, and O'Shea got in there. Again, he was the fifth guy. But yeah, Craig pushed a lot. That was something. I mean, that Craig was, pushed quite a lot, yeah. That was something when we talked about it last show, you mentioned that that was something they were trying to do. You noticed that with him especially. Yeah, he had, he was doing a lot of that stuff when we could visibly see practice. So, uh, I, I mean, I guess it's preseason, so Isaiah, sure. I didn't expect to see him that highly up in the rotation, even though they've been gassing him up in camp. So, I mean, that could be a big swing to their rotation. We'll see if it holds when guys like Warren and Levert come back. But that that was the biggest rotational surprise in the first half to me. Yeah, the, the other thing I noticed minutes-wise was the Knicks basically won this game because they played their starters 25 <laughs> minutes to 30, right? I mean, you go down the list. I had it up. Hold on, let me pull it back up. Uh, you go down the list. So, let's see. Randall played 29 minutes, or 29 minutes and 40 seconds. Fournier played 27, round up. RJ Barrett, 26. Uh, and I think Rose played 21, but he also happened to play a lot against the third unit. <laughs> yeah, only one pacer game. played above 20. That was Sabonis. Yeah. I have in my notes, former, this is in the fourth quarter. Derek Rose was playing in the fourth quarter. Yeah, yeah that's the yeah. Former MVP against Pacers, fourth stringers, LOL. <laughs> yeah, so I mean, like, the Knicks won this game, but they won this game simply because they decided, because they did tips things and played starters a weird, like, Randall, why is Dwight Randall playing 30 minutes in on October 5th? I mean, I, well, I just don't get it. Yeah, it, I didn't get it either. Like I said before, the final score was who cares, who cares. It's a preseason yeah. game. No one on either team got hurt. That said, the the portion of the game that matters, the Knicks were up like eight, I think, at halftime, nine, and they had hit a ridiculous percentage of their threes, and the Pacers had hit a very poor percentage of their yeah, threes. Yeah, you would have seen the Pacers would kind of claw their way back in that second half run. And then in the second half, the percentages from three flipped, but the rest of the game was all Knicks because they were, again, no starters played in the second half for the Pacers. Duarte played a lot in the second half. McConnell did as well, but they went to their fourth and fifth stringers. Even late in the third quarter, they started going to those guys. So strategy and rotation-wise, throughout the second half, we can talk about what we saw from some of those Exhibit 10 guys and rookies who played in that second half, but the score doesn't matter for for numerous reasons, that being one of them. Yeah, we we buried the leader a little bit. Let's talk about Duarte, but let's take a break first, and then we'll talk about Duarte, and I thought was a really solid performance. But first, today's Locked On Pacers podcast is also brought to you by betonline.ag. It's back. It's better than ever as all teams are on the gridiron and are back for another football season. And betonline.ag is your number one spot for all pro and college football action this season. The new updated site interface, even more odds, props, and contests, BetOnline continues to be the number one source for everything football. Head over to the website or mobile device today and sign up. You receive a 50 so a bonus on your first deposit when you use promo code locked on. That's L-O-C-K-E-D-O-N to receive a 50% welcome bonus. So from boxing to football to basketball to your favorite Vegas casino games, don't wait to take advantage of all the amazing offers available for you for the 2021 season. 
BetOnline.ag is the fastest, easiest way to bet on all your favorite sports. BetOnline, where the game starts. Should we uh, overreact like insane to Chris Duarte right now? <laughs> uh, I thought no, he, I won't. Well, I, don't, I think the overreaction is probably that watching him play against other NBA players, he looks like he's, to me, was the high floor already, right? Like he is ready to play in some capacity. I'm not saying he's going to be great all the time. We saw some, obviously, some kind of questionable just pull-up shots that, like, I don't know if I would take him that high, that high in the shot clock, but when you watch him out there, he looks like every other NBA player that could play as the eighth guy on any team, basically. Yeah, he, he can, yeah, fitting in a rotation is good. Definitely. He can get his own, like getting up 11 shots. Some of them were forced, like you said, but he, he got up 11 shots. Like he was capable of creating 11, not embarrassing looks against NBA opponents. Great. That's kind of the bar we're setting for you as a rookie. Like, can you not embarrass yourself? Do you look like you belong? Can you shoot? And when he played in the first half with good players, yeah, that looked great. He had a pick and roll with Isaiah Jackson. That it was the only clip I recorded from the game. I was like, the rookies, you know, they're they're figuring it out. They're playing against real NBA players. Like this is what matters. This is what's important. So that was good for him uh, to be able to do that. Defense was n- nothing noteworthy in the bad department. Um, but the thing I want to point out with him is I have two notes that kind of butt heads against each other here, but I'll still point them both out. So the first note was that with the second unit, they're really relying on TJ McConnell to create because yep. he was doing a lot of work for guys like Duarte, Jackson, O'Shea when they were in there. But in the second half, when it was the most of the backups, they went to Duarte and a little bit of Craig as a creator a lot more. And Duarte kind of struggled to, to get his teammates open, but he did have five assists, right? The volume of touches he had gave him a lot of chances to get them. And some of them were good looks. He set up TJ McConnell, ironically, for, for two three-pointers. Um, so he he was looking okay as, an, as a creator for others. So right now, again, McConnell's going to have a lot of work to do as the creator with that second unit. But it looks like Duarte will be the guy who can at least at some point comfortably grow into something credible uh, yeah, as the second guy with that unit. You guys remember with, with McConnell, right? He's also not playing with two guys who will probably be in his bench eventually, right? And Lamb yeah. is a self-creator. Holiday, not as much, but Holiday can still kind of be his own creator if you really need it at times. Well, if he plays like he did at the beginning of the game, he can, he can at least yeah, but I, be a little more threatening. I'm not trying to overreact too much to it. Right. <laughs> I already kind of overreacted a little much the last segment. Um, So that, I mean, you know, McConnell's basically with a bunch of rookies. I mean, essentially, right? I mean, you look at Jackson, rookie, Duarte, rookie, O'Shea's played 25 back, twenty five games over two seasons that he's been in the NBA. And Torrey Craig, who I guess is only like non-rookie in that in that lineup, basically. Um, Yeah, I mean, I think with, with Duarte... The one thing I kept – there was that really good shot where he created space and kind of a fade back to, I think, Alex Golden tweeted out the video and so did the Pacers as well, that I thought just showed that, like, he has a couple of moves. He clearly is, like, their go-to three-point guy on that bench lineup. At least he was with Yikes. those five players, which makes sense. With, without without Holiday out there. So I think Holiday is probably – It should be better. O'Shea to me. Yeah, well, we'll talk about O'Shea in a second. Um, but – I mean, he's clearly that that kind of guy on the, with at least that unit when this we have all these injuries and whatnot. So yeah, I just I was just excited to see a guy like oh they just basically added an NBA player in the draft, which is like a really solid do instead of like a rookie who you're waiting to see can he be this, can he be that? Like Duarte playing 15, 20 minutes is probably going to be the normal season long. I feel like. Yeah, going back to the starters for some notage, Brogdon and Sabonis are pre- pretty meh to me. I mean, yeah. Again, I thought all the talking, starters were basically except for holiday, except for Turner and holiday. All the starters were Matt lamb. Let's get to lamb because he's a very fascinating player this season who deserves a little more of our attention than just an overarching thing. Like we're going to do for a couple of these guys. 
So Lamb, I mentioned it earlier, the nine rebounds, very impressive. And this was just a general note about the team. They had quite a few guys in a way they didn't last year crashing the offensive glass, like guards. Uh, TJ McConnell had four rebounds. Uh, for example, Torrey Craig was flying in there. And Lloyd Pierce, when I was talking to him earlier this week, credited t- uh, Torrey Craig's rebounding, which I thought was pretty interesting. Craig's size. I, I mean, I, I know. We I told watched, you. I told you he's huge. No, I know. You told me this. We watched videos of it. But, like, actually seeing it, he's like, oh, they have, like, another six. I don't know how tall he is, but it feels like another six nine four out there. You can actually just, like, yeah. pull rebounds down. He maybe other stuff, but he can just rebound the ball. They didn't have that last year, basically. So eight of Lamb's rebounds were defensive, and some of them just bounced his way, sure. But he that was good from him. His offense, he was creating some of his looks. He missed a lot of them, though. And so I, I'm having trouble kind of assessing his performance. I think in general, though, I was a little like, oh, boy. You know, two for seven's not great. And his defense, three fouls, two of them came in like a minute. His defense was still pretty ugly, including one of those gross reach-ins that caused Miles Turner to get a foul under the basket, actually. So uh, just some in general, like, I guess the, the rebounds are promising and the way he was getting his shots, the process is always more important than the results was like, okay, you know, I walk away kind of like shrugging, but I, you know, I, I wanted to come out and like, they were all talking about the starting lineup being great. It's one game. It's one game. It's a preseason game. It doesn't matter. I'm beating it into your brain listener, but you know, it's kind of just like, eh, eh, I need a little more from you. Yeah. I, I don't read much into really any of the starters. Holiday was, had the, like I said, had the best performance of the five. Besides that, it felt like a very, like, they didn't run anything super crazy. They didn't do anything, like, that was super unique. It was very just, like, Sabonis can run some actions here with some guys, and the guys are going to take off the dribble. We're just going to see what we can create in our, you know, 20 minutes of play together, basically. It wasn't super exciting from the starters, basically. So do you want to do – we're going to do some more thoughts from this game tomorrow as we kind of dissect the Sumner trade a little more. So to close today, Adam, would you rather do – some style stuff about how they played, or would you rather kind of go to the end of the bench and we can? Can I can I give you one like crazy kind of funny overreaction? Sure. Is O'Shea's three point shot fading? <laughs> With two of six, <laughs> he, he right? He hit two of six. That's fine. Oh I think he missed his first three. three. I want to say right. He yep. missed his first three. I'm like, uh oh, there it is. It's it's gone. The forty eight percent three point shooter last year is no more. See, first impressions mean everything. Kiefer Sykes hit his first two shots. I'm like, oh my gosh, he looks great. And then he missed all the rest of very, the Very Kiefer Sykes, very communicative. Very, you can see him out there barking at the players. Very expressive. Like, yeah. yeah, being kind of a leader. Anyways, that was my overreaction. I'm O'Shea, we can talk about O'Shea now if you want. So, no, I, I we can do O'Shea tomorrow. Okay, I think from basically him down in minutes, we'll cover those guys tomorrow. I want to talk kind of about how the team played. Okay. Not okay. like quality, like physically the style of the team. The five out stuff that we've heard from camp. I mean, I'm not, I'm not accusing anyone of lying. I just, I want to see it. Very legit. Like, they were really spread out, especially with the starters. Turner was screening off ball, like, down in the corner and on the on the, on the the wings all the time. Sabonis was doing handoffs from out behind the three-point line at the start of, like, the first four possessions, it felt like. So five-out stuff was very obvious and legit. It, it gave them a lot of space to to dribble and move. And the, the big part of that is they had were pretty low turnovers with the starting unit. I think they only had, like, midway through the second corner, they only had, like, four or five, and Brogdon was pretty turnover heavy today, but most of the other guys are pretty good taking care of the ball defensively. You could see what they meant by back to the basics. Uh, the Knicks tore them up, <laughs> but you know, a lot of that was both halves really, but the Knicks kind of tore them up, but you could see what they meant by back to the basics. You know, it wasn't quite as chasing guys around the court. It was more standard stuff. The Knicks just were getting great looks um, anyway. So our defense was bad. And Carlisle certainly noted that after the game in his presser, uh, when he said, you know, that's the biggest thing we're going to have to look at from this game is, you know, why was our defense so bad? And, and they'll, pra- they'll practice again Thursday 
and iron that all out. But I get what he means by going back to the basics. It was just more traditional coverage. I think they were only in zone for a few minutes with Goga in the game. So um, I, we can understand their style more, which was something I was hoping to take away from this game. The defense, again, was so bad because Derek Rose is playing against it at the fourth. <laughs> well, I mean, I know that they the losing. first half, too, but yeah, they were not very well in the first half. Yeah, but, like, the the way I view things, if it had been a regular game, the law of average would have come back down, and you might have – they might have only scored 100. Well, it, it did a little bit, but, I mean, it would have come to the Pacers' level. Like, they would have risen up as well, which they didn't really get to, and that would have – it probably would have been a game in, like, the 110s, probably, if it had been kind of a regular yeah. season up in a normal flow. But that's still not great defense, but I, I, I think – one, there's a little extra to the 125 that is not quite as uh, uh, like meaningful just because of the amount of minutes all the starters ended up playing for the Knicks. But, yeah, I mean, their, their defense, I, I'm not surprised it struggled with Lambs in the starting lineup. It's the five that are kind of a little undersized anyways, and they don't have Warren in a, in a weird way at times. So uh, I'm not surprised that the defense wasn't that great. Yeah, uh, it's certainly something to clean up. Carlisle mentioned it. So we'll see how that uh, that shakes out for this team going forward and, yeah, the, the you know the offense. I'm glad we got to see what that looks like, and and you could tell there were a lot, like Kalen Cooper pointed this out on Twitter, but they only ran like two or two maybe out of bounds plays right the whole time, so they were they really didn't have that much implemented. They got to work on that, right? Practices is what's happening at this point. They've only had you know last Tuesday was their first training camp practice. I know they worked out together before that, but to really get stuff set in stone, that's when they started. So I'm glad we can see what it looks like, and now we can know how it evolves. So they got the Cavs on Friday. Much worse defensive team, so that could help them with their offensive stuff. But, you know, the Knicks uh, the Knicks scored a bunch on the Pacers, so it doesn't really matter how the Cavs are on defense. The Pacers need to play better defense, and that's what I'll be watching for Friday. We'll get to all that kind of stuff later this week. Yep, as Tony teased, tomorrow we will talk about the Wanamaker signing as it probably becomes close to being official. Uh, we've already talked about this week. A little bit of camp notes on Monday. Obviously, we did a preview of the next game, but that's probably not as relevant. Uh, we are on YouTube, if you haven't heard that yet, from the beginning of our podcast or us promoting it the past couple of days. You can check us out at Locked on Pacers on, on YouTube. Listen to this podcast like normal. You can obviously find us wherever you listen to this podcast on whatever platform you're on. Follow us on Twitter at Locked on Pacers. You can follow Tony at Teased NBA, me at Madam 5 That is all for his Locked on Pacers podcast. We will see you guys again tomorrow.